Acts, the mission of spreading the good news, the church of fire, as a lot of people like to address it. I'm going to read that scripture one more time that Avery just read. She did an awesome job. I'm going to read it one more time, and we're going to get a big picture overview of what happened and kind of lay the context for where we're going today. So let's read through together the story of Damascus Road. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters, uh, re- letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray over that today. Fathers, we have your word before us. I pray that it speaks to us. Father, it speaks to our hearts. It gives us the, uh, the conviction where it may be needed. And Father, the reinforcement where it may be needed in our faith, that we may stand strong, that we, Father, can be converted and changed and made brand new regardless of our past transgressions. Father, because you have a far greater plan for us than anything that we could imagine in our own mind. Fathers, we see this conversion of Saul to Paul, one of the greatest stories in all of Scripture. Father, may we be inspired by what we hear today, and may we take this knowledge and application in our lives. We pray these things in the mighty Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So Christianity, I want to start with that word. Christianity. That's why we're all here today. It's why we all gather here. It's a religion. Of course. There's something about Christianity that's, that's different. It's a religion of conversion. This word, to be converted, conversion. Everything we say and everything we believe is built upon the premise of conversion. Conversion. To be made different. You don't have to stay the same way that you are. You don't have to be the same. Your life can be radically different. Your life can be radically changed by God. Conversion. It's this miracle. It's the miracle that happens when God intercedes in your life. When the path of your own desires and your own wants in your life It's interceded by God. And you become changed. You become made brand new. You have a heart transplant. And you aren't who you used to be anymore. That's conversion. 
Until then, you may be a really good person doing really good things and obey all the rules of the church and follow all the traditions and know what church is step by step and be probably maybe one of the most religious people that anybody in your little circle of friends and family may know. And that's good, and that's upright, and that's, uh, that's something to be proud of. But without this thing called conversion, then all that's waste. Because the core of being a Christian is being different than who you used to be. It's being made brand new. Religion is a beautiful thing. Religion is one thing. Conversion is totally something else entirely. And we can't confuse the two. To be a Christian is to be converted by God. To be made different. So these long-held prejudices in your life that you think you've been, that have been ingrained in, ingrained in who you are, the lifetime habits of sin, those patterns, deeply ingrained patterns of sin in your life can be broken through conversion because you aren't defined by that anymore. The path you're on gets interceded and becomes a brand new path that isn't yours anymore. You are converted. So, knowing that underlying premise of what Christianity is, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Far more than a religion. And we talk about it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Yes, it's a relationship, but it's far more than a relationship. It is being made brand new. It is a conversion, a conversion where God comes into your life and then you make that decision to have a relationship with him. So know that if you're here today, before we even get into the defining of our scripture, that where you are right now is not where you have to be if you are not a Christian. If you have not been converted, where you are right now does not determine what you are, right? And what you are does not determine what you will be. You following me? I hope so. Because the premise of what we're talking about today shows one of the worst men to ever walk the face of this earth. One of the worst men to have ever been mentioned in Scripture. Saul of Tarsus. In lies of, whenever it comes to Christianity, Saul was the greatest, probably one of the greatest persecutors to ever walk the face of the earth. Because he was so ingrained in his belief of who he was, and his, he thought he was serving God, that in fact, he was persecuting God. And we see him changed to one of the greatest missionaries, the greatest Christians to ever walk the earth. Saul's conversion to Paul. This is a huge, other than the, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, on the, uh, other than the amazing story of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Following that scene, this is probably one of the most important scenes that we're going to see in the New Testament. 
So we need to embrace this and listen close and listen to the Spirit move through you as we talk about our scripture today. Saul of Tarsus. Let's look at this together. The last time we saw Saul directly mentioned, remember where we have been, we've been talking about this man named Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch last week as he came across this uh, official who was um, overseeing the queen, Ethiopian queen, and he was wanting to know more and more about this uh, way of following Jesus. So he goes and he has this scroll that he's reading from Isaiah. Philip listens to the Spirit. Philip follows the Spirit. And upon following the Spirit, Philip shares the good news of Jesus Christ with this eunuch, with this official, and baptizes him on the path. And upon baptizing him, Philip disappears in the scene. But this Ethiopian goes back to his homeland. And if uh, you study history at all, this is probably the scene where Ethiopia uh, embraces Christianity and explodes in that area. It's a huge scene as well. But now we're going back a little further than that. Where we talked about Saul in Acts chapter 8, the beginning of Acts 8, what Saul did right after the, right after the martyrdom of Stephen. Remember, Stephen was the first Christian martyr, the first man to die for what his beliefs are. He got stoned in the city scene. And upon him getting stoned and uh, essentially murdered, Saul is there. Saul's in the background um, pretty much agging it on, holding the coats of the men and approving of what was going on. Saul quickly, right after that scene, they talk about Saul. It says in Acts 8.3, it says that he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Later in Acts, we're going to see that Saul confesses and admits to murdering many men and women that said that they were a part of the way, being a Christian. And we see what's happening here. So at the beginning of this scene, Saul still is this man who is this mighty persecutor searching for Christians. Verse 1. Let's, let's dive in this together and let's let the Lord speak to us through the scripture. Now Saul was still breathing threats. Verse 1, chapter 9. Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Breathing these threats. This picture of Saul, this angry, violent man, absolutely convinced that he is doing the right thing in, for God. He's convinced of his righteousness. He hated any followers, any disciples of the Lord. And he wasn't seeking Jesus at all. He was hunting Christians. He was hunting them. But it's what happens, and what's amazing about this, the hunter becomes the hunted. Saul, being a hunter of Christians, becomes the hunted by God. And God seeks him out and finds him. Saul went to the high priest, as we continue in verse 1 into 2, who is Caiaphas at this time. And he requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men and women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. 
He can go and travel this distance, 150 miles. He would travel. He is so adamant of finding all these Christians and stomping out Christianity that he's traveling literally days and days by foot and horseback. He's traveling these days just to bring them back and to persecute them. So he got these letters. He went to the highest official that he could find to get permission to do just that, just to assault them, to arrest them, throw them in jail, and, uh, or ultimately murder them. Falling to the ground. Verse 3, sorry. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, as he is traveling on this long journey with his, his posse with him there, this huge light from heaven. This is midday, as we'll find out later in Acts. This is midday as this happens. And this huge, bright light suddenly flashed around him. Suddenly flashed around him. And in the midst of this happening, he does not fall to the ground in wonder. Oh, wow. No, he falls to the ground in defense. What's happening, he immediately, his body crumbles because this light is so powerful and overwhelming. Saul falls to the ground, shielding his eyes. He hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now this is important that we dive back into this because whenever God, whenever God in the flesh, Jesus Christ mentions the name twice, there's significance there. If we go back to uh, Luke 10, 4, whenever he says, Martha, Martha. Remember that scene in the house? It's not a, a scene of anger. Why are you doing this? No, it's Saul, Saul. It's to display such deep emotion in the way that this language is. The, the, the repetition of a name is to show just how heartfelt this statement is. So Jesus appearing to Saul was such a heartfelt statement. He says, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul's response shows an immediate uh, indication that he understands who's speaking to him. He says in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Well, he asks the question and essentially answers it in the same response. Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting, he replied. So in this moment, you know when you have those gut-wrenching moments and you realize that something you've done and you've been doing has been wrong all along and you've messed up and you, came, you come to that realization, maybe not as intense as this, but Saul comes to that scene. In this moment, he realizes that he's been screwing up royally. Royally. He says, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Saul re realizes the true nature of his crime. He's thinking, this highly educated man, you remember who Saul is? If you don't know who Saul is, Saul is probably one of the most educated men in all of the New Testament that we're going to find. He studies under the high priests, right? He, is, he studies and travels to the, the most um, prolific men of uh, the, the era, the time, so he can study and essentially learn from them. He is 
a prodigy. He is the ideal Jewish leader, right? He is that perfect person. And he knows more than anyone around him 99% of the time. So Saul, in this, he realized that he was adamant about Christianity being this totally wrong thing. He thought Christians were, uh, were, were, total, were an uprising against Jews. Essentially was, but he thought it was wrong. He thought this is wrong, this is totally deceptive of everyone, and I'm doing everything in, for the glory of God, he thought, to stop this from happening. To stop this from happening. He thought he was serving God. He thought he was serving God by viciously attacking Christians. And if you look back in the Old Testament, especially the story of Phineas, if you had any recollection of that, that's an, someone who uh, stomps out an uprising against, the, against God. He thought he was doing something like that. But man, did he realize in this scene, he was wrong. Instead of fighting for God, he was fighting against God. Instead of being crazy effective for God, he was being so demoralizing and destructive against God. His entire demeanor shifts up on this scene right here. Here's what, here's what Jesus tells him to do in verse 6. He says, get up and go into the city. But get up, get off your, get off your butt and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Being overwhelmed and not knowing what to do, especially when he finds out he's blind, as we see in this scripture here, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Imagine this scene. Imagine being Saul. He opens his eyes. He's blind. He has to be led into the city by hand. And he spends three days and nights overwhelmed by what just happened. He was totally blind to the real, figuratively, figuratively totally blind to the fact that he was, he was persecuting God. He was persecuting God himself that he became literally blind. And it took his blindness. He couldn't eat or drink. He was so overwhelmed that he was there uh, unable to function physically, essentially, because he was so overwhelmed. And in that, he, became, he had a revelation and an understanding that God had so much more in his life. Because in this moment, and we're going to see next week as we look more into this scene as Ananias comes into and becomes um, uh, a servant of God in talking to Saul, here's what happens. Saul, instead of sulking and giving up, saying, God, I have failed you. My life is miserable. I don't know. It's, it's just not the way I thought it was going to be. My life is just not where I wanted it to be. If I could pick out where my life was and in serving you, I would have never picked this. In fact, this is probably the worst thing that could have ever happened. I've lived a life that's not been according to your will. I've not been pleasing and righteous in my life. 
In fact, I've been living against you. Imagine that scene. Maybe that's where you are in your life today. Maybe you have hit a point that you could say you're at rock bottom. And there's no chance. Look where Saul was. God used a man who persecuted him. God used the man who deserved, <laughs> who deserved nothing but the fiery furnace of hell and turned him into the, one of the greatest Christians to ever walk the earth. The greatest disciples that used his background as a testimony for God's glory. God can change anyone. So if you think you have a bad history, if you think that you're not worthy, if you think you're not good enough for God, look at Saul. Look at what God did for Saul. Christianity is a, is a promise of conversion. You do not have to be who you have been. You do not have to be who you are. And your life does not have to be defined of what's happened by your past. Your tomorrows aren't based on your yesterdays. Your tomorrows are based on your heart and your conversion for what God can do to you. So I challenge you today, look at this story of Saul. Look at this story. And know that you can be radically changed. You can be radically changed. You can be transformed. You can be made new. There are no, and listen, because we like to take life into our own hands. And we like to try to figure things out on our own. As the worship team comes up, listen to this. There are no self-help books that are going to point you in the right direction. There are no self-help books that are going to fix you. There is no emotional therapy or counseling that you can go through and find that's going to fix you. It's going to give you what you think you need. It's going to change you. You can be made new. You have to be made new. And it takes this thing called conversion. Conversion. So if you need to be changed, if you need that today, I want to encourage you. Don't leave here today still wondering why and what and struggling through life. God has plans for you right now. If you live the life that you've been the most religious person, you've done everything right, and you've tried to go to church as much as you can, you've tried to be Christian and do morally upright things and do the right things that you know God would want you to do, but you feel like something is just missing, conversion. Maybe it's, not the, maybe it's the fact that you haven't submitted to God. And maybe you have. I'm sure you're here today and you're feeling right and you're feeling and you know that you've, you've given your heart to Christ. Today is the day that we can make a commitment again. Say, God, I'm going to do right and I'm going to stop choosing me and start choosing you. Because I know you can use me for greater things. Far greater things than what my life and my past has offered me. So let me pray for you today. And as we pray, I want you to think hard and to lift up the Lord through this prayer. Let's stand together and pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, today we as a, as a bunch of broken people, 
with broken pasts that are undeserving by all, all gauges and all measures, far undeserving of your love, far undeserving of your grace. But Father, today we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you see greater things in us than we could ever see. And Father, when we hit rock bottom and we're at the point of breaking down and giving up, you can make us into something greater. Let us use this story in this scripture today. This amazing conversion of a broken man doing things far against your will into a man doing amazing things for your glory. We can be made brand new. May we embrace your truth of your son Jesus Christ and his glory and his goodness. And may right now be like that shining light that saw him. May we be overcome with joy and goodness in this mighty way. Father, we love you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.